The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by Kanawa Capital Management. Your financial life is unique, complex, and dynamic. Kanawa Capital Management's team of credentialed professionals has been helping its clients build wealth and confidence through personalized planning and informed investing since 1989. Learn more at cancap.com. That's K-A-N-C-A-P.com. I'm Benjamin Dolly, and this is the VPM Daily Newscast. The director of VCU's Massey Cancer Center told a congressional briefing Wednesday that African Americans have the highest overall death rate in the United States. Charles Fishburne reports. The disparity is not new, but Dr. Robert Wynn is hopeful in the year of the pandemic and racial reckoning there could be improvements. Disparities actually goes back for literally decades. Dr. Wynn is the only African American to head an NCI-designated cancer center in the country. Many times we're looking and we're getting depressed by recent events, but this is one time where the health disparities report got presented to both Republicans and Democrats, showing that cancer doesn't really care about your political affiliations. It cancer kills. There is progress. The death rate for African Americans in 1990 was 33 percent higher than for whites. Now it's 14 percent. But the committee's report highlights the need for increased funding aimed at reducing health disparities. Charles Fishburne, VPM News. We should disclose that VCU Health is a sponsor of VPM. Most Virginians don't think sending kids back to school in person during the pandemic is safe, according to a new VCU poll. Patrick Larson has details. Poll director Dr. Ferris Stone says the survey, which reached 804 Virginians, shows that people of color who responded were much more likely to want kids to stay at home. And that's understandable, right? considering that COVID has had a disproportionate effect on minority communities. Stone points out that just over half of parents polled with school-aged children were open to an in-person return to class. The study also found that 40 percent of Virginians are unlikely to get a coronavirus vaccine when one is available. Stone says that's on par with national data. Well over half of the poll's respondents were against any government mandate to get a vaccine. Patrick Larson, VPM News. Virginia Union University and VCU's Wilder School of Government Affairs yesterday held a virtual seminar celebrating the election of L. Douglas Wilder as governor of Virginia and the first black governor in the nation. He said this year's protests for racial justice are useful, but the ballot box is the real answer. Speak, demand, insist for those who are there. If they don't do it, vote them out. Wilder was sworn in as Virginia's governor 30 years ago this January. We should disclose that VCU's Wilder School of Government is a sponsor of VPM. Earlier this year, Richmond Mayor LeVar Stoney proposed increasing funding for public defenders and affordable housing. That was scrapped when the pandemic hit. As Roberta Roldan reports, two city council members are now urging Stoney to make good on his original proposal. In Richmond, public defenders currently make about 40% less than their prosecutor counterparts. City council member Stephanie Lynch has put forward a resolution to try to fund salary increases. She says equal pay for prosecutors and public defenders is fundamental to a fair system. Another resolution from Councilmember Ellen Robertson asked the mayor to increase funding for the Affordable Housing Trust Fund from 3 to $10 million starting next year. Both resolutions are expected to be voted on by city council later this month. Roberta Roldan, VPM News. Early voting begins today in Virginia. Ben Pavia reports that for the first time, voters don't need an excuse to cast their vote early. Registrars like Teresa Smithson in Hanover County near Richmond are leaving nothing to chance as early voting begins. Smithson's staff has tested equipment, put down social distancing markers, and counted out ballots. I mean, it's almost like 
launching a rocket. You know, we've just got a checklist after checklist. And requests for absentee ballots in her county are way up, from 2,500 in 2016 to 10,000 this year. New laws passed by Virginia Democrats allow no-excuse absentee voting and ballot drop boxes. Smithson has set up one outside her office. It will be under constant surveillance and emptied three times a day to prevent, in her words, any shenanigans. Ben Pavier, VPM News. Virginia's Department of Elections is encouraging people who'd like to vote by mail to request and return their ballots as soon as possible. Months after Virginia corrections officials said they had COVID-19 under control in Virginia prisons, positive cases have made a comeback. Virginia Mercury reporter Ned Oliver has taken a look at what's going on inside the prisons where about 3,000 inmates are sick. VPM's Whitney Evans sat down with him to discuss his reporting. Hi, Ned. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your interest. So can you give us a sense of the scope of the virus right now inside prisons and how that's changed over the past six or so months? The um, number of cases has doubled in the past two months or so to 3,000, and now a total of 21 prisoners and one staff member have died. It's also spread to prisons that hold some of the department's most medically vulnerable inmates. Those are um, Deerfield and Fluvanna. These are facilities that have medical wings and a lot of geriatric prisoners who need more care than just the standard population. So how has the state said it's been handling positive cases and inmates who are sick The department has conducted, uh, at last count, I believe, 36,000 tests. That's more than one test for everyone in the prison system right now. Uh, So some inmates have been tested twice. They really point to that as sort of the basis of their response and say that they've done a lot more than than you have seen in, in other sort of congregate settings where the virus poses a particular risk. When inmates test positive, they have a protocol for quarantining and isolating positive cases into different housing areas in an effort to contain the spread. But what we've seen really is that in the six months since the pandemic began, the numbers have really stayed the same. There was a moment in July where it really sounded like prison officials thought they had the virus under control. They stressed that they were down to 16 cases and the the numbers have just bounced back. As you reported in your piece today, one of the biggest concerns is that the state promised early on to release some of the prison population so that it would be easier to manage an outbreak. But those efforts have been slow. What can you tell us about the pace of releases and what that's meant for inmates? Yeah, since the pandemic began, its effects on the correctional system has been a a big point of concern for advocates, inmates, their family members. Uh, They were pushing early on for Governor Ralph Northam to use his pardon power to get people out who were close to the end of their sentence and have especially medical vulnerabilities. Uh, Northam resisted that, but he did propose an early release program. Uh, When he announced that, he said it would apply to about 2,000 people. The General Assembly signed off, and the program that they approved basically allows the Department of Corrections to release anyone with 12 months or less left to serve and who doesn't have a history of violent sexual offenses or a class one felony uh, charge, which would be capital murder. But the pace has been very slow. In June and July, we saw as few as 30 inmates a week reviewed for release. In total, a little over 500 inmates have at this point been released from DOC facilities. And advocates have just said that's way too slow 
and in fact, a federal judge who is overseeing the settlement of a lawsuit that inmates brought against the department also raised concerns, calling the pace alarming. The response the Department of Corrections gave to that was A, that they were going as fast as they could, and B, they were describing how at that point they felt like they had the pandemic well under control. They were down to 16 cases. Now, you had the opportunity to speak to some people who are incarcerated right now, some of whom are sick with COVID. Tell us about some of the people you spoke to and what they say they're experiencing right now. The conditions they described were just unbelievably bleak. I spoke to three men in Deerfield Correctional Center who are in a dorm that houses about 100 inmates, all of whom are infected with COVID-19. It's in a building that has another dorm with another 100 inmates who are also infected with COVID-19. And they say that there's one guard and one nurse caring for all of them. They say that means that it's up to inmates with milder or no symptoms to care for the sickest. They describe picking up prisoners who collapse on their way to the bathroom or into the bathroom. They say they have to help some of the men shower and clean up. They say some just can't get out of bed. They're just really depressed. One man told me he he cried because he, he got what he considered a good meal for the first time in weeks. You know, he described cold hot dogs and maybe a boiled potato. And this is a diabetic. So he, he said that was really problematic. He said he cried when he got um, some some turkey deli meat and a, and a hot dog that had actually been warmed up. So those are some serious allegations. How's the Department of Corrections or other state officials responded to what some of these folks are saying? They really didn't respond. They offered a general statement outlining their testing protocols. They did lend credence to the staffing issues that the inmates described. They said that they are looking for more nurses. They're offering nurses who are working in other DOC facilities what they described as financial incentives to come help with the outbreak in Deerfield where these men are being housed. And and they say that the contractor that handles health care is also actively recruiting temporary nurses to help with the pandemic. But otherwise, they say they're doing the best they can and controlling it as well as could be expected. So not much response to these allegations. Does that mean we're, we can expect to see any changes made? That was really my big question. And I spoke to Governor Northam's Secretary of Public Safety, Brian Moran, about this. He said that beyond sort of keeping up the high rate of testing and continuing to follow the procedures that involve, you know, trying to quarantine inmates as soon as they test positive, they, they weren't really planning any major changes. Well, what do advocates say should be done? Advocates continue to say that the state really needs to speed up its review of inmates who are eligible for this early release program. One of the inmates that I interviewed, and the state did actually, after my story published, confirm this, qualify for the early release program. His release date is four months away, so he qualified back in April when this was launched, and he just never heard anything back, and now he's in these conditions that they described, and he's contracted COVID. So they really want to see that speed up. But the Department of Corrections response is that they're really just already moving as fast as they can. That's Ned Oliver. He's a reporter for the Virginia Mercury, and he published a story today about conditions inside Virginia prisons. Right now, thousands of inmates and staff have contracted COVID-19. Thank you so much, Ned, for speaking with me today. Oh, thank you. All the stories you've heard can be found at vpm.org news. This has been the Daily VPM Newscast. VPM.